Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. It's time to place your bets with RJ Bell's Dream Preview on Podcast One Sportsnet. Get the real scoop from the betting expert himself as he shares the hottest tips during the NBA Finals. Download new episodes of RJ Bell's Dream Preview every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Very excited to have on Sam Vecini. He is in Chicago for the Combine and for the draft lottery. He was not in the room for the lottery because he was too busy putting out his amazing metric ton of content for The Athletic that has come out recently. Does fantastic work. Longtime listeners of the show will know. I'm, Sam and I love doing this. And we go in a lot of different conversations because of the way this specific lottery result made us think about the offseason. And some of it was us going extemporaneously about thinking about how some of these pieces are going to fit together. He had some ideas that I hadn't considered yet, and hopefully I had some that he hadn't as well. So that always makes it really fun. I will note for those who listen to this in certain formats that there is more profanity in this. I, 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 I'm, I generally prefer not to have it, but Sam was a little bit was a little bit loose. He's probably delirious because of how much work he's done, and it's it's fantastic content. So um, I'm just letting you know that there are some there are some no no words. Let's call it that way. But it's a great conversation. Runs about an hour 20. Brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. Pluto TV, leading free streaming television service. Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Use pod 25 promo code for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. And True Car, great place to sell or trade in your car. One other programming note, at the end, the, the Vicini recording is about an hour 20. After that, I do five minutes with Dave Mason of betonline.ag. I thought it was a really interesting conversation about the challenges of doing lines for playoff games. And then we talked a little bit about the lottery and people betting on lottery results because I found that so compelling. And a little bit about Tiger Woods because I was interested in that. He brought it up. And so I wanted to talk about Tiger Woods and how, how that influenced betonline.ag. So we go through that. That's at the very end of the recording. And I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Danny, what's going on? How you doing, man? Oh, it's not like there's a lot going on right now. I mean, it's it was it was so much fun to go into a lottery with the new odds. And so I was wondering, I'm like, okay, are we really going to see that kind of a jump because the math was there. The math was, you know, indicating that we were going to see at least one team jump from pretty deep into the top, but to see the top 2 picks go the way they did and then also just all of those teams with bad records sliding so far down was both kind of jarring just because that didn't happen under the old system and exciting I guess is probably a good word for it because it it shifts these dynamics and I think also importantly it might shift the way teams think about their place within the lottery moving forward so yes there's a lot of that um last night was wild uh, last night was crazy. I was up until like 2.30 working uh, out here Chicago time. So my brain is like half fried. Um, I think that what we saw last night was exactly what the NBA wanted. Like we wanted the – like the NBA wanted us to have a more random process basically. Uh, wanted to try and disincentivize tanking in some way. 
wanted to try and maybe, maybe not even disincentivize it, disincentivize it, but didn't want to reward it anymore is maybe the better way to put it. I don't really think that these measures are going to really curb tanking whatsoever, to be honest. Like, I just kind of don't. Um, at the end of the day, the value of someone like Zion Williamson is still worthwhile for a 14% chance to get him for a lot of teams around the league, right? Like, if you don't live in New York or Los Angeles or Miami or, you know, maybe if, um, you know, Chicago can get its shit together. Like, if you don't live in one of those big cities, you probably aren't getting a superstar to come to your city via free agency. So the best way to do it is via the draft, even if it's only a 14% chance. So I don't think that what we saw last night is going to stop tanking. Like Rudy Gobert tweeted today, we saw the end of tanking last night. I don't agree with that. I just don't think that the uh, math is there on asset acquisition across the NBA. Having said that, this is what the league wanted. They wanted us and they wanted teams to feel like when they go into the lottery process, we don't know what is going to happen. And I like hadn't really even thought about the Pelicans' potential fit for Zion Williamson, to be honest. Like, I hadn't really thought about a lot of different stuff for, uh, like, the way that that fell. I didn't think about John Morant potentially going to Memphis. Like, I, it's it's a pretty wild deal now with this draft order that totally shook up. Like, I had to, I filed a mock draft a little bit ahead of time last night just so that, like, we could get it out pretty quickly and have, like, a very comprehensive look at the way the draft is going to go. And I had to, like do the 16 picks i think it was like the top 16 picks uh like redo them there was such movement throughout all of that that it was just wild it was crazy right and everything has ripple effects i mean you could go through for everything and i had thought about the pelicans getting the number one pick more as a thought exercise in terms of what would happen with the anthony davis negotiations rather than oh yeah that's right they would also get zion williamson and and zion i'm i'm pretty happy with the fit zion williamson alvin gentry has done a nice job with different kinds of bigs and now that they are much better run Gail Benson, like the early steps of her ownership have been great. David Griffin is a very talented general manager who has dealt with building around a unique talented player. I think that that's a, that's a very useful piece of his skill set. Also New Orleans has what how how functional we think this is is an open question, but they have a lot of flexibility in terms of their roster. There isn't a lot on their books that is particularly onerous. Like even though yeah, they have Solomon Hill and I bet they wish they didn't have Solomon Hill's money on their books. Big whoop. They can either keep it on there and and then just spend in 2020 or they can do any number of things. And something I wanted to ask you, Nate and I talked about this on Dunked on as well, is how this, because Zion, we expect him to be better earlier than the average draft pick. That's part of why he's special. So how yeah. that affects potentially their thinking, not only on Drew Holiday, but also let's say they still trade Davis. He says, I'm still not coming back. How it affects what they're looking for in a return, because maybe now you look a little bit less for 2020 draft picks or 2019 draft picks, look a little bit more for young players still, but more established young players, guys that are, you know, maybe two or three years closer to their prime than somebody you're drafting in the next year or two. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, does this make a potential Clippers offer somewhat more appealing? Because they can offer Shea Gilgis-Alexander. They can offer 
Landry Shamet, uh, and Danilo Gallinari, uh, as like the salary ballast, obviously. And, uh, Gallinari and Shamet particularly really help with spacing around Zion and Drew Holiday obviously can shoot the ball. And, you know, Shea, I think at some point we have to hope he can shoot the ball. So like, does that make that offer with multiple draft picks involved more appealing? I think it could. Uh, I, I do think that that has potential to be the best offer, especially if they throw in like a Montrezl Harrell or something. Yeah, and, um, and, and I think Boston also their offer gets more compelling. Jalen Brown, I don't know if well, Tatum's going to be on the, tatum, in the, on the table. The the big question with Boston is, do they get involved? I, I don't. Right. I don't think that it's uh, like how compelling is their offer. Uh, I think it's is is Boston going to be like okay, we're, if we lose Kyrie. Why would we make a run at Davis? Well, uh, like, and the other you, part of this, sorry to interrupt, but I, I want to say it before I forget, is the, the, the idea that the theory that I just put out there about maybe devaluing 19 and 20, you know, future assets, maybe that opens up the timeline here a little bit because I had thought for for the entire process, basically, since he demanded his trade, like I predicted the day that trade demand came in, that he would be traded on draft night. Basically, that's when it would be announced because they would go through everything. Now, if you're looking a little bit differently, like that Clippers offer, that Clippers offer doesn't particularly change after June 20th. It's it's about the same. And yeah, right. it's still better to, you know, if, if you want 2019 assets, those are clearer than 2020 because we already know what those picks are and we learned last night that things can change quickly and there's a lot of a lot of question marks that can happen you know variability and variability can help it also can hurt and so maybe this opens up you know july and then if depending on what information Kyrie communicates and when you get in that and i also think there's a chance and this gets into what happened with the Knicks and Lakers last night that Danny Ainge is willing to still go after Anthony Davis. It's just uh-huh. that it would be at a lower price. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think there is a chance because the other weird asset in all of this is Gordon Hayward. Um, I think there's like kind of a chance that Boston can present the most compelling package to Memphis for Mike Conley. Um, you know, Mike Conley and Gordon Hayward's contracts actually match up really well. And obviously Memphis struggled to get like a good first round pick uh, for Mike Conley at the deadline. I wonder if Boston just goes like, Hey, we'll give you like 20 and 22. Like we'll give you two for or twenty and yeah, it's twenty and twenty two. Well, or for Mike Conley or and Gordon Hayward. The other I don't I think this is too rich for them to offer, but teams love getting their own picks back. Uh yeah, absolutely. Like maybe that is a way they go about it. Like maybe it's just the Memphis pick. I wouldn't give that up. I wouldn't that would either. Very, very, very real. Now, but now, I if you could, if like, you could give that up and get Jaron Jackson in the trade, then we start to have some real fun. But I do think that like uh, twenty and twenty two is like a very real deal. You know what I mean? Like twenty and twenty two for Mike Conley uh, on that deal with what he has three years left or two years left. So after this year, Conley has one locked-in year, and then he has an, an early termination option that would be worth $34.5 million. And that's an interesting decision. It kind of parallels, to me, Al Horford's the decision. Al Horford one. Which is yeah. you could opt out for more control and for more money over a longer period of time and just hitting for agency when you're a little bit younger. But he'll play that by ear. You know, I think Conley will do whatever's best for him. Though theoretically, like we might see with Al Horford, getting Conley could 
could open the door for, you know, like you come to a, a reasonable agreement where they mitigate some of the risk of hitting the open market. Like I, I think that could happen with Harford where, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't just pick up his option because that's really risky. Maybe he declines it with an idea that this is probably where they're, you know, an understanding of where the contract would go. Sure. Um, but say, say you go down this road and try and get Mike Conley, who I think is a fucking phenomenal fit in Brad Stevens's system, right? Like that would be incredible, I think. And well, it'd be amazing to see him and Horford together theoretically as well. Right, 100%. And then you decide to make your move for Anthony Davis. You decide to throw the Memphis pick, throw the number 14 pick. Um, let's say that it's Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and whatever you need to throw in there, right? Uh, maybe it is Jason Tatum. Maybe, like Maybe that's just the starter. I think that at the end of the day, the Lakers getting the number four pick. And honestly, the Knicks getting the number three pick as well may lock Boston into having to offer Tatum to end up being able to trump for the best offer. But at the end of the day, what does a Mike Conley, Anthony Davis, Al Horford, uh, in like a couple of the young players team look like? Like that, that's actually a pretty interesting team to me. I think that that team, uh, can compete in the Eastern Conference. What's more, they might be competing in a very different Eastern Conference. You know, like if Kawhi right. leaves the Raptors, they are a much less dangerous team. And the Bucks, it looks like they'll still be really good. I mean, Bledsoe already re-upped. I expect Middleton to re-sign. We don't know about Brooke Lopez, but, you know, Lopez or Miritich, I think one of those guys will be back at least. So they'll be good. The Knicks will be interesting, but as people like Kevin Pelton, and I, I wish I had written about this beforehand, have talked about the Knicks, let's say they get Kyrie and KD. That team will have a lot of top-end talent. I think they will do better with the room mid-level and minimums than most teams in their situation have because they can offer playing time and a major market, which often does really well. But there are a bunch of teams with cap space, so the, so the best players would be leaving money on the table. But that team would still be incredibly shallow. Like, you compare what the Knicks would be with those two guys to what the Clippers would be with those two guys or their non-union equivalents. You know, like that... The Clippers have Shamit, they have Shea, they have Lou Williams, they have Montrezl Harrell. Like, that team can functionally build around those guys. And, and that's not to say, like, yep. oh, Kyrie and KD should not choose the Knicks. They can do whatever they want. But from Boston's perspective, if you're building that kind of a team, it is more about the short term. And yeah, it would be a real roll of the dice to do with Anthony Davis, but you, there's also a circumstance where a couple of the teams that would be in the bidding for him as free agents knock themselves out of that bidding by spending, like the Knicks. You know, like if right. the Knicks get those teams, then you're not as worried about that. Yeah, and the, and the Clippers could very well do the same. The Lakers could do the same, depending on who's available. And Well, the key there is you have to do order of operations on it, right? Exactly. Like you like the Knicks, the Knicks can do all three. Like they can do Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie. They just have to do Anthony Davis after they do the first two. Well, but and they can't. But they can't do Anthony Davis if Anthony Davis is on the Celtics. Like basically, Correct. They can, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, like they can beat them to the punch. They can beat them off the punt to the punch and take them off the board because once they spend, then they they can't get Davis another way. You basically are are putting if you acquire Anthony Davis as the Celtics, you are putting the Lakers, the Knicks, the, whoever wants Anthony. Davis in a really tough spot because basically what you're saying is you have to create cap space unless you think on a lark that this, that Danny Ainge and the Celtics are going to facilitate you getting Anthony Davis by doing a sign-in trade in 2020. And that is a dangerous game. Yeah, that doesn't seem like something Danny Ainge would be particularly uh, amenable to doing. If, 
it's hard to kind of judge where David Griffin's mindset is going to be on this, right? The big thing for me is how quickly does he want to try and compete, right? How early does he want to get this done with? Uh, he's certainly posturing right now that he is like set on trying to convince Anthony to stay. I don't think that that is something that will happen. Uh, just, you know, look at the reporting from Sham Sharania. I mean, even Woj said last night, like Woj talked to David Griffin and said like, Hey, David's really trying to get him to stay. But even Woj after that said like, it seems like Anthony Davis's people, like the people near him are saying, Hey, no, we still want to go. So the question is like, how, how, how big are David Griffin's balls basically is what this comes down to in a lot of ways. Like, is he willing to go into the season with Anthony Davis if he doesn't get the offer that he likes? Uh, is he willing to kind of continue to take this down the road, uh, for past the draft and, you know, potentially taking future assets, potentially taking the risk that teams are willing or teams are just going to take the guys they want and then hope that that matches up with new orleans at the end of the day it really is like a game of chicken in every single way and david griffin's really good at this so i think the pelicans are in really good hands i'm just very unclear on where all of this goes now because i I think that like there is now a wide swath of time where an anthony davis deal could happen you could tell me an anthony davis deal happens like in three days and i would say yeah, I'd be surprised by that, but David must have talked to him and, you know, teams came forward and, you know, they put their best offer on the table and, you know, at the end of the day, David just wanted to get past it. Or he could take this like into the regular season if he really wanted to, because at the end of the day, there is like, he still has until the trade deadline to get something of value. And realistically, the team that trades for Anthony Davis, doesn't really care about the first 20 games of the season, I don't think. Uh, like, it's not going to be a Jimmy Butler situation because Anthony Davis is probably going to get traded to a team that, like, he actually wants to go to. There are enough teams out there that he wants to go to that uh, they can still get really, really good value for him. And Anthony Davis is just way better than Jimmy Butler. So, like, it's just a fascinating process on so many levels now. I'm struck by the idea that basically what happens by waiting is you're changing the sales pitch and possibly the the composition of the teams that are interested. Because having Anthony Davis for a full season and playoffs theoretically is better than having him for less. But there are certain teams that would be interested in Anthony Davis more for the future than the present. And that getting him before the end of the 2019-20 season is materially advantageous. So that could be franchises like Boston that do not have the cap space to sign him outright. That would be a, a good example. Or in certain circumstances, the Knicks, you know, like if the Knicks line up Davis and then get other guys, then that, you know, that gets taken off the board. Other circumstances could shift the other way. And that's why you talked about it getting into a game of chicken is, or I I like to think of it as as hot potato, because some of the offers that could be, like some of the teams, the suitors, could be less interested, and that's not necessarily because they don't want Anthony Davis, but there are two things that I think could end up weakening offers for Davis. So one is, 
teams with a reduced present value. So the unfortunate thing that happens during the course of an NBA season is that more teams fall out of contention than work their way in. So let's say a player on Team X that's important gets hurt. All of a sudden, having Anthony Davis for yep. the 1920 season, it matters less. And so you're willing to compensate New Orleans less for that privilege. The other one that can happen, and this is the really fun part of this that does get into the chicken element is the teams that theoretically could sign Davis with cap space. And where that gets really fun is not only do you have those situations, so like let's say the Lakers retain enough space to sign Davis outright and they go, we don't need you to do it. But then what Griffin can do is say, if you don't compensate us, we'll trade him somewhere else that, you know, then, then you're having to compete with, with them for Davis as a free agent. And then the Lakers can say, well, we think that he's going to sign with us anyway. So it gets, it gets bananas if it, if it goes into the season, because all of those dynamics are in play and it could shift on a, on a turned ankle or a popped groin or anything. And the number of suitors with sufficient assets to make it worth David Griffin returning their call is pretty limited. Like there are, you know, maybe like four or five off the top of my head, unless somebody, and this is the thing that I've always been interested in in a Davis trade, somebody comes out of the woodwork with the kind of the modern equivalent of the Oladipo Sabonis offer where it's like, oh, we hadn't thought about you working your roster in that way. I don't really know who that team is, but there always is someone. Yeah, I actually spent some time trying to figure that out last night, like who I think could be the random team. Like I spent some time trying to figure out, like, could Milwaukee get involved in this? Um, I don't really think they have the assets to do do so. So my one from the trade deadline, who they have weaker assets to do it now but still could, is Toronto. Sure. Like, I mean, they would have to keep Kawhi, but yeah, like what you're saying, Siakam. Yeah, Siakam, and they could throw in a, they could throw in Lowry or or Abaka salary ballast. Like, there are a lot of different ways yeah. they could make that trade work. And good lord, would that create a fascinating team? I mean, San Antonio is randomly another one. Uh, yeah, if, if, they like, if, if they like the if they like White and Murray and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and like Denver and Denver's another one too. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't expect. And and the, and the thing we're talking about these some what makes these teams a lot less likely is that it's entirely possible that they either see the Davis departure risk as much higher, which they should, or they really right. like the guys they have. Like for example, Denver. Denver could put together a fascinating offer, but it would involve guys that are considered cornerstones for their franchise. I mean, Denver, I think, can put together arguably the best offer. Uh, You throw in Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley. uh, You know, you use the Millsap deal as salary ballast. Maybe not the best deal. But they have other pieces like Gary Harris and Mike Porter Jr. Like, they they have a lot of sweeteners and, like, kind of base pieces that are really fun. So you could put together a a series of different offers. The things that Denver doesn't have, they don't have a lot of salary ballast, and they don't have great non-drafted assets. They have good young players, but they don't have great drafted assets. But yeah, like, but that's an example. And really how this works, what's so fun about it, and I mean, Ibaka going to the Magic is another example of this. Everything involves Oklahoma City, is that all it takes is a GM 
owner thinking, hey, this this roll of the dice is worth it to add new suitors that are really compelling. And then it gets into what does David Griffin value? What does he want? And maybe, you know, he's not as interested in the third pick in this draft. Maybe he thinks that the the Lakers, as I do, that the Lakers young guys are a little bit overhyped, that they, you know, that they're they're nice pieces, but they're not really the foundation of a really strong team. And- well, here, here's the big problem for the Lakers is that in a vacuum, I think that Brandon Ingram is probably their most interesting long-term asset, right? Like, like I, I really like Brandon a lot. I don't love the idea of putting Brandon next to Zion. Nope. Cause I, like, that's just not a thing that like is particularly interesting to me. Um, like I, I would well, like Lonzo next to Zion. I would like Kyle Kuzma. I would like Josh Hart. Um, you know, you could sell me on the number four pick because there are just a lot of very, very uh, good deals out there or very, very good players out there. Like you could throw me Jarrett Culver. You could throw me DeAndre Hunter, I think. And like that, that's actually a really compelling package, I think. But, you know, the problem that they could run into then is salary like just ballast, right? Because they almost need it to be Alonzo and Brandon Ingram in number four to get to the salary without having to give up one of Kyle Kuzma or Josh Hart, right? And I just don't love the Ingram fit. Like that that makes it tougher for me. Yeah. And and it would also be functionally difficult to move Ingram quickly to another team. Like that that is a way sometimes you could do it is hey, you get a good return even if not every piece is great for you and then you send that guy to a third team. But then that's a whole different negotiation that gets really complicated, involves more parties and everything else. Right, but like are you getting a better deal for Brandon Ingram than like Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart? Like that's kind of the opposite deal, right? I think I think that's an important an important consideration here. Unless you have something else here, I was thinking about moving on to Memphis because this this is another huge shift that happens in this deal. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to talk about with the Pelicans. Um no, we, we can move on to Memphis. I mean, the Pelicans are in a great position now, obviously. Absolutely. They have one of the best general managers in the NBA. They have arguably the best asset in the NBA that's under like a long-term deal now. They now uh, have a really good training Blake's staff, in. it sounds like. I mean, that's going to be yeah. really exciting too. And that's good for Zion as well. Right. So – yeah, like they're they're in a great spot. Like, congrats, Pelicans fans! I'm very glad that you now are going to experience some hopefully very real success. It's not that Anthony wasn't successful there on some level; he was, but I do trust David Griffin to get the job done a little bit more than I trust Del Del Demps slash Mickey Loomis uh, slash Tom Benson. Yeah, that's for sure. Plenty more to talk about with Sam Vecini, but first a message from betonline.ag. You're going to hear from Dave Mason later after I talk to Sam, but this is a great time to check out betonline.ag. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs are going on, but also Major League Baseball. And then if you're interested in golf or MMA or any number of other topics, you can check that out as well. And BetOnline.ag has a, a really cool promo going on right now. You go to their site and you use the promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% welcome bonus. So you can use that however, however much you want to put into it. That's pretty awesome that you can can scale it that much. And as I said, there's so much going on right now. Conference finals in full swing, which is incredibly exciting. And then the NBA finals coming after it. Hockey is into its final four as well. And then baseball, you have a bunch of different teams that are that are doing well and with all of these also, you can do in-game 
wagering. And I, I think that's really interesting as well. If you think you get a read for where things are going and there are opportunities there as well, it can be a way to make something you are already going to watch more compelling. Or if you think you, you know something, you can go after that as well. So again, go to betonlines.ag, use the promo code podcast1 for a 50% welcome bonus, or you can text BETNOW, B-E-T-N-O-W, to 238-669. And in either case, you get that 50% welcome bonus from betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Also have a message from Pluto TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. So you can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. And my favorite part of it is that not only does Pluto TV never ask you for a credit card, you don't even need to sign up to watch for free. That makes Pluto TV the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. What's more, you can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, smart TVs, PlayStation, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, or anywhere else that you stream. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again and download Pluto TV. Memphis now, I so for me, this does a couple of different things. So for the first thing I'll start with as a point of clarification is, I mean, obviously, if you have intel, you could share it, but... Is your instinct that their that their more more likely path is to go Morant over RJ Barrett and everyone else? Yeah, I kind of wrote it last night in the mock draft. I mean, that's that's how people around the NBA are acting. Like, I don't have intel from the Memphis Grizzlies necessarily, but like of the text messages that I have like sent out and received, I mean, the inclination across the NBA is that they will probably take Jaw. That leads to the natural follow-up point that drafting your point guard of the future makes it less urgent to retain your point guard of the present, though theoretically they could use Conley as a mentor and all that, but I think it opens the door for a Conley trade, which should have happened anyway. Like, that's this, this doesn't change it that much for most teams, but then remember, these are human beings that kind of want to know that things are in good hands before they make a move, and so I, I think it does open open that situation. But something else that I think is significant in the possibility of getting John Moran, I mean, he will be on the table whether they choose to draft him or not. Zion's going number one. Is that now Memphis does not need, and in fact does not want, a point guard as a part of the return for Mike Conley. And I think that could end up being a very positive thing for a lot of the teams that are in the Mike Conley Derby. Because sometimes that happens where a a front office is... Because point guard is in an incredibly important position in the league. And, you know, if you want to evaluate your young guy... Arguably the most important now. Yeah, arguably the most important. And so I could have foreseen a circumstance where Memphis traded Conley, but and maybe they're a little bit lower on Darrell Wright, who they acquired in the Marcus Hull trade at the deadline. And so they wanted to make sure they had something there. And now Indiana... Boston, we just brought them up as a trade destination. Utah, all of those teams in the theoretical packages they could or would offer for Mike Conley probably would not have a point guard of any significant weight. And now Memphis doesn't want that. They would rather have talent at other positions. So that's pretty sweet for them to for those teams that they they ha- they ha- they're closer to having what Memphis theoretically wants. And that also has these other really interesting ramifications for the Celtics because of that Memphis pick. Because, I mean, once two teams moved up in the lottery, there was this window of about 45 seconds to a minute and a half where it looked like Boston was getting Memphis's pick this year. 
because that was the most likely outcome. Yeah. Two teams moved up, so or one team, or what, I think it was just the Lakers, moved up. It was up. just the Lakers, yeah. And so you're sitting there going, well, the most likely scenario at this point is that Memphis slides back one, that pick goes to Boston, and then that has all these other crazy implications for everything else that follows this summer. Instead, Memphis moves up, and the pick now becomes top six protected in 2020, and then unprotected in 21. And so Memphis, actually, my argument would be that they become more indifferent to that protection now. They just become a young team. You build the best team possible. And I would say the most likely path, depending on how some of these other bad teams interpret this offseason, is that Memphis probably trades away some of their vets and spends next year as one of the four or five weakest teams in the league. And then that doesn't guarantee that they're going to keep that pick because we know how the lottery can shake out, but it makes it significantly more likely. And then in 2020, they, I mean, the ideal would be that you do what the Kings did and you just win a bunch more games and then you give away a worse asset. But that's kind of how I would be approaching this from Memphis's standpoint, because now finishing with like the tenth worst record next year is just you know it's fine, but it doesn't it doesn't do you that much good. Okay, so if you're Memphis, you have the Chandler Parsons deal that's like a big expiring contract now, right? Uh, not expiring after the 2019 season, but once free agency hits this year, it will be an expiring contract through the 2019-20 season. Can you essentially do what Cleveland did? And take on like two year contracts that will save teams money and then pick up long term assets in the process. Like if you're trying to think of a team that has like a really bad two year contract that like they could potentially want to get out of. Like if you're Miami, are you will or if, or if you're uh, if you're Memphis and Miami says, hey, we will offer you James Johnson and Kelly Olynyk for. Or let's say like James Johnson or uh, Kelly Olynyk and Dion Waiters, whatever like trio of bad assets, but assets that are better than Chandler Parsons, the Grizzlies could want. We will give you a first round pick like way out into the future, basically. Is that something that Memphis should do now to try and just accumulate more assets while also staying non-disastrous for two years? Like that that's actually like an interesting route for me now. Uh, the, is there the, the a short, route? The, the short answer is yes. And the yeah, longer is, is answer is there a route is, for this? Yeah, there is. And the the other huge part of this is so let's say they're also moving Mike Conley. Now they could also move they can now this opens the door for trading Mike Conley for players that do not expire. You can go and that for certain teams might be more desirable. Maybe Gordon Hayward becomes a part of as, as you talked about could be a part of a, a contract and I would see I see Gordon Hayward as a meaningful negative so then maybe Boston gives you a better asset for that but he's also logical salary balanced all those other reasons that's actually a really interesting one could you do gordon hayward and let's or gordon hayward in the memphis pick for chandler parsons just to get off of that deal and like cj miles depending on what boston wants to do that might be a possibility but they don't need they don't need cap space as of right now they don't need cap space in 2022 desperately so i don't think that they would throw an asset that good for that sort of a deal they could need it though maybe like they could actually because they could actually like get real cap space if they trade gordon hayward for expiring deals yeah depending on what Uh, happens with horford and a few other things there is there is a scenario and and i think memphis opening opening that up but here's here's the number that i want to have out there if let's say Mike Conley is not on the team, let's say they trade him for all or close to all expiring money, and or he theoretically opts out, whatever. If if you wipe off his money and Chandler Parsons is already expiring, Memphis is looking at somewhere around eighty million in cap space for twenty twenty. <laughs> 
without including their pick next year, which I, I think they're going to retain. Sure, that $80 million will get reduced by a number of different factors, like signing players this offseason. But Memphis, by all accounts, their cap space provides less utility to them than it would to other teams because they're not really a free agent destination. They haven't been in the past, and they're not going to be good enough in all likelihood in the immediate to start wooing people right away. So that makes it significantly more palatable to use some, if not all, but definitely some of that cap space to acquire assets by taking on bad money. Miami is a logical target. The only problem with Miami is that they are asset poor. And I'm guessing Riley won't give up the 13th pick this year to to dump that kind of money. It's possible, but I I, I don't think it's definite. But there are always teams... By the way, I I would do that if I was him. Well, and there are also ways that they could do bigger deals, let's say like involving Hassan Whiteside as well. Like if they, for whatever reason, if Memphis, or sorry, if Miami is like, yeah, we also just don't want him. And Memphis can be like, sure, we can do that. There, there are all sorts of ways that they can. And also Memphis can, if they want to, this is something that I love about the moratorium. Theoretically, they could fold a couple of deals together that actually are independent trades. Like let's yeah. say they're, they could fold a trade, a Conley trade and a Miami theoretical or this let's call it this this 2020 cap space trade they could functionally if it helped with trade rules do those trades together and other than some minimal touching requirements it would be very easy from a structural perspective and maybe that gives them more flexibility like for example i think i think boston did something like that a few years ago where they you know combined a couple of deals just to make things a little bit easier It, it happens from time to time it's funny now i'm thinking of like 15 pieces that i need to write which is always fun but yeah, Memphis can totally pivot. They can do the the problem for them, unfortunately, is that there are two things. One, there aren't that many bad contracts that expire in 2021, and you wouldn't yep. really want to push beyond that. They could. Theoretically, they no, could you don't. if they want to. But also, the 2020 free agent class isn't sexy enough to get people, you know, excited. Like this Pretty bad. This isn't a circumstance where, like, you know, this offseason where, oh, my God, you know, the Knicks and the Clippers and all these teams are trying to clear the space they can because they have, you know, they're, they're like the cartoon, they're like the cartoon animal that sees a, a pretty, like a pretty girl on the screen and their eyes pop out and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's not that kind of an offseason. But there are always still teams that want to make life easier on themselves. That could also be in terms of the luxury tax. Like, theoretically, I'm not saying they're in this case, but like Oklahoma City. You know, Oklahoma City yeah. has, they have a ton of money on their books. Maybe they they would like to reduce that money a little bit and would give up something to do so. Like the, the well, maybe it's yeah, maybe it's Dennis Schroeder and Jeremy Grant and they sure. want to try and like ease that. Sure, or or you can get into what what I think is really useful. I've talked about this before in terms of Sacramento's cap space last year of being the team that anyone calls should that be a priority. So maybe it's not even somebody that we're thinking about. Maybe it's Orlando and they're thinking about their situation and Instead of stretching, you know, like instead of moving like Evan Fournier next year, they just they just want to, you know, get open things up and be the team that's that's in that mix. And even if kind of especially if those front offices are acting irrationally, that works out for Memphis. And so if you're the call, you're just waiting for somebody to do something stupid. And it can happen. It has before. Oh, man. There's this offseason is going to be a content farm is basically where we're at right now. Like it's not just the high major team, like the high market teams. It is the mid markets. Like everyone has a piece in 
uh, role to play in this front off, in this offseason, and I'm so excited. Like, it's going to be insane. I, I was, like, running through the top ten in the draft yesterday on my podcast, and it was like, New Orleans, they have to trade Anthony Davis, right? Uh, Memphis, they have the Mike Conley situation. New York's going to be involved in all this stuff. The Lakers are going to be involved in all this stuff. Phoenix wants to get older. Like, Phoenix wants to try and acquire older, talented players. Uh, Atlanta has, like, a ton of ability and wiggle room to, like, move up and down the board because they have the two picks in the top ten and the five overall picks. Washington has Bradley Beal in that situation that they have to deal with. Minnesota has Gerson Rosas and has to figure out what the hell they're going to do. Charlotte has Kemba Walker. They have to figure out what the hell they're going to do. Boston at 14. Like, obviously, they have a strange, wild situation that they have to deal with. So I'm just very excited by all of this. This is going to be just totally, completely insane, I think, this summer. Agreed. And something Dan Feldman and I discussed last week, and I think the events of Tuesday night made it even more stark, are how how quickly the sands will change. Because every free agent decision, every trade, even the draft picks, shift these dynamics. You know, who's interested in Mike Conley? Is Bradley Beal on the market? What, you know, like the Clippers, think about, think about the, the vacillations that could happen in their offseason. Yep. They, they could end up with two max players. They could end up with two max players than Anthony Davis. They could end up with one or no max players. And then they keep, you know, largely keep this, what was a super fun, super exciting team together for one more year. And then even though the market is uninspiring next year, and maybe they get into the trade market and they just decide, you know, we want Bradley Beal or whatever else. And, the the difference between not only like the best the absolute best case and absolute worst case because a lot of teams have those kind of variants but like the realistic best case and realistic worst case for some of these franchises the margins are absolutely jaw dropping and I I think that also ties us in well with who ended up with number three and number four because it is entirely possible that I mean the 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 quick interpretation would be okay the Lakers moving up and getting the fourth pick they can use that asset for an Anthony Davis trade sure they could depending on what David Griffin wants depending on on how they value the other offers that are on the table sure but something that I've been having some real trouble with and this is kind of at both the nexus and on the side of some of the discussions that we had earlier is well, who could it be if it's not Anthony Davis? And that market is actually sort of tepid right now, you know, because so many players are hitting free agency. If the Lakers, you know, if, if for whatever reason Anthony Davis is unavailable, they're looking for players who are ready to win right now and who fit with LeBron James. That's a lot to ask. And so, yeah, they can, and theoretically, they'd be looking for a player that can mesh with whatever they think they're getting in free agency. There's there's really only like, two out on the market that i love who are those two so bradley beal is the number one guy sure like to me they should move heaven and earth to try and get bradley beal i think and washington and 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 let's say unknown gm two that like is because washington what we don't know we don't know who their gm is going to be and i mean we know yeah it's going to be there shams and uh fred katz said troy weaver is having like a second interview and it makes sense yeah, like a guy that is definitely up there in regard to this search. So, yeah, 
but, it, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So, so how how Weaver or whoever feels about Beal is is really interesting, and I agree with you. He's a wonderful fit with LeBron, and Beal stands out as a player who is better than a lot of the realistic options in free agency. Like you know, th- there are certainly yeah. If you could get Clay Thompson, that's awesome. I don't think Clay Thompson's going to go into the Lakers. So, and I've been wrong before, but I don't expect that. So that's one part. And then the other thing that I think is really interesting about a theoretical Bradley Beal trade is that Washington has so few things set. So you remember how we talked about how some of the Lakers put pieces, most notably Brandon Ingram, don't fit particularly well with Zion. So that that's something New Orleans has to consider. Right. Washington, yes, they have they got shit. They have money, <laughs> they have money on their books and all that kind of stuff, but they could build this team in any direction. So if they like what the Lakers have, even though some of those players have limitations that matter, well, you're getting them at the start. And they have the number nine pick this year, they have Troy Brown, but other than that, it's pretty much a blank slate. So uh, it's barren. Yeah. So and it'll and it'll take them some time. And actually, that's actually a, a significant argument against Brandon Ingram because Ingram is going to be extension eligible. Yeah. A little bit too soon for them because he he's going to get Brandon Ingram's getting his raise in 2020, whether it's through an extension or a new contract. So maybe they would want to look a little further out. Somebody like Kuzma or Josh Hart or, or Lonzo go more in that direction. And is the other one Conley or is it somebody else? Uh, I was going to say just Kemba and free agency, but yeah. uh, if we're talking specifically trades, yeah, I think it's Conley. And I, I'm going to add another one. I don't think this is going to happen, but Drew Holiday. Yeah, Drew Holiday is interesting. I mean, like, we need to figure out, like, where Detroit's going to. Like, I hate the idea of Andre Drummond with LeBron James. Drummond's on my list, too. But, like, it's not impossible to me that (laughs) – I'm trying to find a way to phrase this. It's not impossible to me that Rob Palenka looks at his uh, unique production and thinks he is good. Entirely possible. And it's also possible that Detroit, while they, I think they would like to keep Drummond, that they could see an offer and be like, yeah, why not? Like, this is Blake Griffin's team. If, if another team's going to overvalue him, by all means. I'm going to go through a few others. And w- these players are certainly less inspiring than Anthony Davis and some of the other ones. But what I basically what I was working on this morning was a list of players who are more in line with LeBron's timeline who could theoretically be on the market for some of the Lakers or Knicks assets. So these are guys that could fit with theoretically with what the Knicks are trying to do as well. And here are a couple of ones that I thought were interesting. Robert Covington. Sure, but I, I don't know why the Timberwolves would move him. Well, I mean, if if they could get younger, like let's say they could get their point guard of the future or something like that, you know, like that that could be interesting for them. Maybe, maybe Aaron Gordon. Similar logic, you know, that if they like if they like John Isaac, they could go in that. Yeah, Gordon's a good one. Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, Spencer is a very good one. Will be very dependent on what happens with his teammate. Who, by the way. The Lakers should look at his teammate that's a free agent this summer. Oh, God. That would be amazing. <laughs> they really should, shouldn't they? Like, am I losing my mind here? Like, D'Angelo Russell well, is kind well, so like, there's, so, so there's a there's a challenge with Russell that— I agree with you. Like, he's not a perfect player. Well, that, well so, so the theory of D'Angelo Russell works really well with somebody like LeBron because Russell can catch and shoot. The problem is we've never really seen Russell play that role on a team. And remember, this Brooklyn squad, even though that's not necessarily who he played with because Atkinson had Levert and Dinwiddie playing a lot off the bench, though he played those guys together in various alignments— 
when those lineups played together, Russell had the ball in his hands a lot. And so it might be possible that the theory and the practice are not exactly the same, but it's worth considering. True. I mean, especially when you, when the Lakers, like there is a distinct chance to me that they're lower in the pecking order for the best free agents than they want to be. And so would oh, they I, definitely are. Yeah. So, so then, then you start to compare, okay, well, is D'Angelo Russell better than, you know, like the eighth or ninth best free agent? And, you know, for certain teams, maybe, maybe that then it starts to get more palatable. Another reason, and remember the other way that D'Angelo Russell gets more in this game is that if the Lakers strike out on the main guys, that takes time. And then you start to think about restricted free agency. That's how this always works is it's the, the if the offers come other than like an Alan Crabb situation the offers often come from the teams that don't have a chair when the music stops and that could very well be the Lakers it's entirely possible another Can we one just talk about the like revolt that would happen with the Lakers oh if my D'Angelo God. Russell signed an offer sheet it would be it would be pretty amazing it's and- actually like a good question would the Lakers fans be happy that they get D'Angelo back and like got off of the Timothy Mozgov deal, and thus were able to get LeBron. Well, and got Kuzma and and, like, and and theoretically Brook Lopez for a year and all that other stuff. Yeah, I mean that sure. still works like, out. That works out pretty well for them. It, like in theory, it actually works out like perfectly for them. It would just be the most fucking hilarious thing in the world to me. Another one who's not exactly inspiring, but would be really interesting, is Kevin Love. I, I think that he, you know, yeah. to me, he's a negative value contract, but he we know he fits really well with LeBron. And maybe it's just a circumstance where Cleveland wants to go in a different direction and the asking price is low. And, you know, I'm sure when they when Kobe Altman signed Kevin Love to that contract, the idea was that he would be positive value. Right now, I don't think he is, though it only he's takes one or not. two, it only takes one or yeah, two GMs not. to prove me wrong. Right. And I'm yeah, gonna, I, I talked to – I did the big Cavs thing, uh, what, like a week and a half ago maybe? Mm-hmm. And I talked to executives about that, like Kevin, Kevin Love's contract, basically executives think of it as like around like 40 to $50 million underwater right now. And I'm going to throw one more out there. I'm going to throw a little grenade out there. And I have no intel on this. So please, please do not interpret this, people, as, as me doing that. There are scenarios where I could see the Lakers throwing enough assets at the pile to make Draymond Green an interesting trade target. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Just real quick on Kevin Love. The problem with Kevin Love is the Lakers don't have any, like, nothing that the Lakers could move makes sense for Kevin Love. Correct. You know what I mean? Like, they're not, like, their salary, yeah, like, their salary ballast is Lonzo, who is not. Well, like, theoretically, they could use their cap space, but that would be a pretty awful use of their cap space. I don't think it's worth them eating into cap space. Um Continue though. I'm sorry. Yeah, but so, but so with Draymond, I think really what it gets, what it gets down to is just how pragmatic is Bob Myers, and also theoretically that would happen after a Kevin Durant decision, unless there was the hilarious scenario. Ben Golver actually asked me this on the podcast back when the Staples Center drama happened, of like if KD came to the Warriors and said it's him or me, well, then that would be a way to make it a little bit easier. I don't expect that to happen. That doesn't sound like where this is going, but. And and I think the Warriors are going to try to keep. What would the Warriors do in that scenario? I think they would take Kevin, right? I I would think so, especially because Draymond. And this is this is the reason why I think a trade could theoretically happen with Green beyond the clutch boards connection and everything else. 
is because Draymond is going to want a big next contract. And whether Kevin Durant is on the Warriors or not moving forward, that is going to be a very expensive deal for the Warriors. And I could see them, as great as Draymond is and as important as he has been to this run, If and I mean, he was essential in their win over Houston. He's going to be a huge part of the Blazers series and theoretically the NBA Finals, which I expect the Warriors to make. But at a certain point, you do kind of have to do an asset situation. And you brought up, you know, Rob Palenka thinking Andre Drummond is good. Like, that's sort of an idea. That pitch is even easier for Draymond Green. And so whether the Warriors right. use those Lakers assets for their own purposes or to go in a different direction, it is easy to think of a circumstance where they sacrifice a little bit in the near term, but build something that is more sustainable moving forward, you know, like Josh Hart would be a very interesting piece on the Warriors. Depending on what they do at at the forward spots, Kuzma could be useful too. And the number four draft pick could go in different directions. And so I don't expect that to happen. And the other complication is the timing. But I wanted to throw it out there as a possibility because all it really takes for a team to trade a player in a surprising fashion is another team making an irresponsible offer. Yeah, no question. That's absolutely 100% right. Um in Draymond's case, like that irresponsible offer would probably be like Lonzo would be kind of a perfect player for the Golden State Warriors, wouldn't he? It would be wild. I mean, because you could Lonzo such a such an intuitive passer, and the Warriors haven't they have a weakness in terms of shooting outside of their three best guys. I mean, you have the best shooter of all time and two other really good ones, but they don't have that depth. But they could build that with time, and they. It, I don't think it's a perfect fit, but it's definitely intriguing. I mean, if you're going in a different direction, you could do worse than Lonzo Ball. And yeah, and the Lakers have all these other kind of useful guys. Like, like jo- I, I, I think the Warriors would be a little bit unhappy that, you know, Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball aren't big enough to guard threes, really. I, I mean, Hart can do it in spots. I think of him more as a two, though. And because you would, assuming Kevin Durant leaves, you would want somebody who's a little bit bigger. But yeah, I, I think that's on the table. And yeah, so what the Knicks do, what the Lakers do, and not only that, the choices they make, but when those choices happen and when they're announced is going to be exceedingly important as well. And I, I'm really interested in that. Plenty more to talk about with Sam Vecini, but first a message from Yahoo Daily Fantasy. It is one of the best times of year to be a sports fan. The NBA and NHL playoffs are underway, and on top of that, baseball and golf are really starting to pick up. If you want to get closer to the action, Yahoo Daily Fantasy is for you because they offer single day and week long contests so you can pick a new team every day. Yahoo Daily Fantasy also has the lowest management fees across the industry, so you don't need to play with the other sites that charge a hard a high fee just to play. Yahoo's lower fees mean more prizes for you the players to win. To get started, go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy and find a contest that's right for you. Use the promo code POD25 for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. You can try a 50-50 contest where the top half of the field wins, or you can try Yahoo's innovative quick match feature where they will pair you with another player of the same skill level. So you play a quick match contest for free or for cash, but the best part is those have no management fee at all. So you keep 100% of your winnings, or you can play for larger prizes and bigger bragging rights in a guaranteed prize pool contest. Again, go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy to start playing today and use the promo code POD25 for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. The sooner you get to playing, the sooner you get to winning at Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Also have a message from TrueCar. 60 seconds. That is exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with TrueCar. 
That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to TrueCar and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate true cash offer from a local TrueCar certified dealer. It is that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they will check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there are no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So, when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. You brought up the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks are absolutely fascinating now because maybe the way they see their board, you know, kind of similar to last year, is that maybe they don't see it as a three or four player draft and that they, they like some of these guys about equally. And so, whoever falls to them is fine. But if they like somebody better, they can make that sort of a move happen. And Atlanta has enough assets that they can they can play the Dallas part in this offseason, you know, like trading the, the Luca in the Luca trade, or they cannot. And they also have a ton of cap space. I could see Atlanta just taking the best players they can and really trying to make a splash in twenty twenty instead. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I I'm really interested in what Travis Schlink does. <laughs> Yeah, and again, like Travis is another guy that's really smart, like really, really sharp, I think, in the way that he goes about his business. Um, you look at the way that this cap sheet is set up. Uh, they are set up for success very long term. They only have uh, – what is it? They, they have no guaranteed money, like full-on guaranteed money, past this season. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And theoretically, they could, you know, re-sign Deadman or, or something else like that. Or they could use their another team because they just have so much flexibility. They could do what we talked about with Memphis and use some of that flexibility to, to take on bad money for a year or two and acquire other assets. Totally possible. I think that would yeah, be Yeah, I, I think that they will do that for what it's worth. They should. Um, and, and remember, another another way they can do that, something I like about Atlanta in those sorts of trades, is Camp Bazemore. Because Bazemore, yep. I kept on thinking he was going to be involved in like a trade involving Houston, like basically what the Shumpert trade became. Because he's a good player who could who is better. He's better when you can move him down in the pecking order. He because his his energy defensively and he's not like the greatest shot creator. But if you have good players around him, Bazemore's strengths become more apparent and his weaknesses become less material. So I could see a move like that happening this offseason, and I, I assume Schlenk is going to be looking for that. So yeah, I, I think their situation is is fascinating and interesting. I'm less compelled by Cleveland, Phoenix, and Chicago due to these results. I mean, and it's also kind of fascinating how those three teams over the course of the last cal- over the course of the last 12 months have done things justified or not to reduce their flexibility in the summer of 2019. Chicago, that was acquiring Otto Porter. Phoenix, that was giving Devin Booker his designated rookie, or give, sorry, giving him his max extension, not designated designated rookie, um, a year early. And in Cleveland's case, that was, and I just, justifiably so, well, half justifiably, justifiably taking on a bunch of bad money in exchange for assets, unjustifiably giving Kevin Love that terrible contract. So that's kind of a double whammy for them of like, okay, they're probably more locked in unless they really just fall in love with a specific player and want to move up. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, as you talked about, you said this was part of your game theory podcast, a lot of intrigue up and down the lottery and and just how it sets the table for the offseason. And I expect to see whether not, let's let's exempt Anthony Davis from this. I expect to see some sort of jaw dropping move between now and let's say the tenth pick in the draft. That somebody's gonna make a move kind of oh, yeah. maybe paralleling 
the Tobias Harris trade where we're just sitting there going, that makes sense, but I never saw it coming. Yeah, no question. I think that is absolutely going to happen. Um, it's just like totally this, – this this offseason is going to be wild in a way that like even last offseason, which felt like it totally shifted the paradigm of the league in a lot of ways with LeBron like moving to Los Angeles – this offseason might be crazier. Like, it would not surprise me at all if this offseason ended up having more, like, crazy movement than oh, last offseason. I expect this to be crazier. I, you know, and, it, and it's different than 2016. Because, like, 2016 was really all about free agency, you know. And, and, yeah, there were moves that related to free agency. But it was, you know, Kevin Durant and all these other talented, Gordon Hayward, remember? Remember, remember oh, was he 2017? No, he was 17. Um, yeah. But just all there were a bunch of talented players and and all the kind of like the ripple effects and everything like that. But it really did center around free agency. Now this is a ridiculously strong free agent class, so there is a part of that. But all of these teams that want to make related moves, that want to kind of st- streamline their timeline, I think that's going to be another important part of this. You know, the Lakers and the Knicks and Memphis and now partially due to the the Pelicans getting the number one pick. Memphis getting number two, the chronology and the sequencing of these moves are now all jumbled up, and I'm both concerned and excited about that because I I, I was you know in my head it's like okay well this is going to happen and this is going to happen and, and so and each move affects everything that comes but if you have an idea of the of the order then it makes it easier to predict like e- even if you don't know exactly where each guy is going to go you can kind of kind of game it out a little bit I'm having a lot of trouble gaming this out right now that's great that's great that's what I want yeah I am too. I really am. It's an incredibly difficult offseason to predict, and I'm excited. I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to be absolutely spectacular. Um, it's, you know, uh, we live in the uh, the content industry, and this offseason is going to be a content farm, and I am excited for it. You mentioned that you are in Chicago right now. The league has tried to make some changes, not only having the lottery in a different city, but tying it in with the combine and everything else. How yeah. has that experience been so far? So I didn't go to the uh, lottery itself last night. Like I was stuck writing. Like I think I published sixteen to seventeen thousand words last night. So like we we wanted to have me in a sequestered room, basically, where I could just type on my keyboard for hours on end and then record a podcast at the end of it. Um, But the good addition that I got a chance to be a part of on Monday and Tuesday was the G League Elite Camp, where essentially they invite the, like, let's say 70th through 110th ranked prospects uh, to a camp and have them play against each other. It was a really, really great, uh, just awesome, awesome atmosphere to be a part of. The games because there were spots on the line to get invited to the NBA draft combine itself. The games were incredibly competitive. Like they were super, super fun. And like, look, the guys ranked between 70th and 110th on the draft board are extremely my shit. Like I want to watch all of these guys as much as possible because I am a basketball nerd. I love watching Max Struess. I love watching guys like Zylan Cheatham, Terrence Mann, you know, these guys that may, may or may not make the NBA. And if they do, more likely than not, will not necessarily be rotation guys. But like 
it's just such a fun, fun environment. It's just such a great time. Um, you get to kind of hang out with all of the executives and get a chance to, you know, just chat with them and throw ideas off of them. Like it's a great, it's just such a great time. I'm a huge, huge fan of this week in Chicago. Um, I do miss my animals back in Los Angeles. Uh, they, they are, they are terrific. I miss my, uh, fiance even more. Uh, given the fact that we're planning a wedding and getting away for a week whenever you are planning a wedding is not a great idea whenever the wedding is in three months. But uh, nonetheless, Chicago is a great time. Uh, I love the city of Chicago. I love everything that the league has done to make this like an event week. And I'm excited to get to the NBA Draft Combine here on Thursday. What are you looking for at the draft combine? I mean, so the expectation is that the best of the best aren't really going to play, but at least we'll get measurements oh, for them, oh. right? <laughs> By best of the best aren't going to play. Let me give you a list of the guys who are not playing five on five at the combine. Lugan Stort, Carson Edwards, Daniel Gafford, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, Ty Jerome, uh, Fiondu Cabin Gele, Lou King, Jordan Wara, Eric Pascal, Jordan Poole, uh, Naz Reed, and Dylan Windler. I think that all of those guys are ranked at least 25 or lower on my board. Um, so we're getting like nobody playing this week, like zero, zero guys playing this week. It is going to be a wild, just like ridiculous, stupid event kind of. But again, hey, we get more G League elite guys getting a chance to showcase their shit at the combine. So I'm here for it. What is the expectation? Because I haven't looked into this at all. I know there's been grumbling over the last couple of years in terms of whether the the lottery guys are going to do their, all their physical measurements and do like let's say the three cone, like the you know like the shuttle drill and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the expectation is that like they probably won't go through all of the testing. Um, they might get measurements. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Zion goes through measurements. Uh, Zion is here. Uh, from what I understand, he was planning to go through meetings with teams and stuff like that. Whether or not that ends up happening uh, is questionable. We've already had quite a few guys pull out, like totally. Uh, DeAndre Hunter has pulled out of the combine totally. Killian Tilly pulled out. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Chuma Okiki pulled out, like despite the fact that he's hurt and can't really play and do athletic testing anyway. So it's just very, very interesting to see uh, to see where this goes. Uh, like how many guys actually show up, how many guys do media, how many guys do meetings, how many guys do measurements, how many guys do athletic testing. I'm not really sure what the answers to that are going to be right now. Um, you know, teams are kind of trying to parse through it all themselves. It's probably too early to know, but the league is trying, and I, I mean, I understand why from a Machiavellian perspective, to use changing the early entry rules as a cudgel for getting more participation in the combine, getting guys to share medical testing. Do you have a read on how that's eventually going to play out? Um, I don't think it will ever play out, to be honest, because like NBA teams don't take the combine seriously. Like I'll give you an example of this. Uh, so there was voting on like what players would advance to the G League elite combine or from the G League elite combine to the NBA draft combine. And, you know, I kind of asked around a little bit on like who guys were voting for and you know got some weird names back and then John Gavoni 
you know, spectacular writer, TV personality, just great all around dude over at Draft Express and ESPN. Uh, he talked to an executive that said, we sandbagged all five of our votes. We already knew who we liked coming into this week. Why do we need to see those guys again and maybe give other teams who don't do their homework a chance to see how good they are? Uh, that's how a lot of teams feel about the combine. That's how a lot of teams uh, just kind of roll with, with this entire deal. So until that changes, I think it's hard for the league to make like a very real tangible like move on trying to get guys to the combine because like if you're not going to take it seriously and you're actually going to sandbag um, where players who like you invite to the combine and like how it affects the, their potential to help themselves by coming to the combine – I think it's really hard for you to come back and say as a league, hey, like we need you to come to the combine. We we need you here because we need your medical testing and stuff. Like I think it's I think it's actually kind of a tough situation. It could be a little bit different with the medical stuff because teams do value that and do prize it, but it's it's so big an ask for what is only kind of nominally a concession because it doesn't help the players association as a technical matter to let the young guys in. It's just something they feel is morally right. And so I feel my, my, my idea is that the end game might be some sort of like small concession that isn't the full enchilada just to get it done, but that it isn't the whole thing because I can understand players, players and agents. I think agents are the big motivating factor here as they should be. They, they don't want to give up something that is really important when player, when prospects have so little voice in, in the draft process. So I can understand why agents would want to go to the map for this because they should. So like, I actually think the players are starting to care more about it, to be honest. Like, I think that there are players out there that understand long term, I should not give up my medical history to teams if it's not like a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like, if it's not something like that, then why would you, why, why would you want to give that up? Like, if I, if I don't have to give up my medical testing, if it's not legally like obligated by the league, then the only thing it does potentially is hurt me at the end of the day. Like I can just give my medical testing to the teams that I'm interested in drafting me. I'd probably do that to be honest. Like that's just kind of what I, that's kind of how I think about it from like, I think about this stuff from the player's perspective a lot more than I do from the team perspective. Cause I think it's like kind of a fucked up deal in a lot of ways. Uh, so I, I would make teams try and do their own research on all of this. And uh, I, I would not give teams the benefit of the doubt uh, just on like, the goodness of their heart that they will take care of me if I come to the combine. I'm of a similar mind. I, I think that's where it, where it should end up. And it's crazy that they moved away from this for, I mean, for a reason that made some sense, but to, to go back to it and demand that kind of an, a concession, it seems more like a, a an ambitious gambit than a genuine negotiation. And I mean, yeah, you try to squeeze everything you can out of everything you have. I understand that mentality, but it just, it's, it's, it's unsettling for me. And so, especially when the people who are getting caught in the lurch are these 18 year olds who have no advocate in the process, other than maybe if the MBPA out of the kindness of their heart wants to do it, because that's, a, and that's a different thing. So, and I think it makes, I think it's better for the league for a bunch of different reasons. That is not a conversation we need to get into now. I think both of us have talked about it before, both on this show and, and elsewhere. So instead, what I was kind of thinking to end this is you and I both talked about how we're, we're not sure the timeline anymore here. We're not sure the chronology, the sequencing. What makes sense to you as the first kind of big dominoes to fall? 
Oh wow! Oh I man! I can throw out. I can throw out my idea if you want. Hmm. <laughs> so the guy that I'm thinking of as an inflection point here is yeah, Con- go ahead. Is, is Conley because that would probably would have been my pick just because I think it's the easiest one to get done just in regard to like okay they have John Morant now and the asset like. The assets won't be like insane given up. Right. And there are there are numerous potential options that could involve a twenty nineteen draft pick, just probably not a super awesome one. So you could see that the only reason Conley might get done later is depending on Boston's role, which is something I honestly hadn't thought about too much until you brought it up. And Boston might not know yet, like by June twentieth, what they want to do. But the other reason why Conley I think makes sense to be an early part is that there are fewer dependent variables. The teams, a lot of the teams that it sounds like will be interested in Conley aren't really going after all of these other guys. So you might as well, not only from Memphis's perspective, but also from their perspective, just figure it out, get that done and have it. And that's, so I could see that deal being done before the draft. So that's it. That's yeah, I think it be. honestly, like, I think it probably will get done before the draft. Now that you say that. And Drew Holiday... I don't think he's necessarily getting traded, but I could see a similar logic applying should David Griffin decide to do so. Now, I think they're going to keep him. I think they're going to give Drew at least a trade deadline. I think they keep Drew. I think they want to have, like, a competent guy for Zion to play with. So I think they'll keep Drew. Yeah. The only exception there would be theoretically, and and this is why it might why theoretically a Drew part might be a little bit later, is if they got a point guard in the return for Anthony Davis, and then having Drew doesn't make as much sense. But and, mm-hmm. and also it all it takes is a reckless offer. You know, that's that's sort of that's sort of a deal. But in terms of the big pieces, I think that's really you know, Davis is absolutely a possibility. Like he he would probably be next in the line, but I'm not sure of that anymore. I used to be sure of that. I am not anymore. And mm-hmm. and then from there, I think then we might be starting to wait other than like ducks in a row types of moves. And we could see there are numerous of those. Like for example, if Alan Crabb gets traded, like that could happen before the draft. That would also be, or, or during the draft. That would be really interesting too. Cause remember Brooklyn has, they have two, I think they have two first round picks and then a good second if memory serves. And Maybe maybe deals like that sort of that sort of thing happen. Yeah, so Brooklyn has three picks in the top thirty-one because they have right. They have the Knicks second-round pick from a deal with the Sixers back in the day. And yeah, I, I would bet that Alan Crabb gets dealt before the. Um, yeah, and I would bet. He, I would bet it's get, probably the later of their first-round. It just it just depends on it just depends on what the money is and like yeah like a J.R. Smith deal like that's if if Cleveland wants to do it that could happen. Um, I've been. I, I haven't worked it out all the way. Cleveland is. Yeah. If these. I if I actually like that, if I was them, yeah. Like if, if I was Cleveland, I would be willing to take twenty seven uh, for Alan Crabb and or t- yeah, twenty seven and Alan Crabb for J R Smith. Yeah, and I actually think Alan Crabb would be useful for them next year. It's not even necessarily. You know, it could be a, a sort of a parallel with Brandon Knight, where yeah. The player is a clear negative value, but they're a rebuilding team. They could use more shooting, more capable play on the wing. I, I think Crab could help them, and so you don't even have to do anything other than that. You just get another piece of your rotation. And but the only the only way you do that though, if you're New or, or uh, if you're a Brooklyn, is if you know you're getting a free agent. Like you have to know ahead of time before that. 
or if the asking price is mo- is modest enough that it's not that big a deal. Like that, that's the other way it could happen. Is just having eight to ten million extra in space is useful, even if you don't know exactly what it's going to be. It's not like you're clearing thirty million. In that sort of case, you have to know. But you know, it, it's a possibility. But then the I mean, what Allen's on. Allen's on eighteen five or something right now, right? Yeah, so 18, they would clear essentially 18. 14. Yeah. And then remember they could stretch. Yeah, so that is a lot. And and maybe that forces or that that is the impetus for Cleveland asking for a little bit more. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And yeah, I mean, no, and, and also I, I like Brooklyn, the crab idea. Brooklyn I think has that, that happens. This, Brooklyn has this crazy scenario outside of crab where they have I mean and Russell's capital, I guess, where they have all these guys that they have a couple of guys that just aren't making that much money. And so like I don't think they need to do anything to facilitate with Joe Harris or Spencer Dinwiddie. But I also could envision Sean Marks, you know, like I don't think he signed those contracts for those guys being foundational pieces of the Nets moving forward, though he's open to that possibility. So I would love to like Brooklyn, if they want to, could go in so many different directions this year. Like they're another way yeah. we, we talked about it a little bit, but I, I see Marks as being more pragmatic. The moves they made last summer to clear a little bit of space, then use that to extract a what became the twenty seventh pick out of the Denver Nuggets. I, I really liked a lot of that. Also remember they got Jared Dudley basically for nothing, which worked out really well for them. And yeah. I, I, those are the sorts of teams that I think are also like, they're not going to, they're not in the top 10 most interesting off seasons, probably because of all of the other ones, like the gigantor ones that are ahead of them. But I could see them being the ones that you and I fixate on a lot because the flexibility yeah. and the stakes and because in some ways it's easier to fixate on those than the Knicks because the Knicks is just like, well, who are the best guys that say yes? It's fun they, and it's important, but it's not as interesting. Can they move Rondé's restricted free agency rights? No, they could theoretically uh, – they could try to wield that to sign and trade him for a modest asset, but I don't think a team's going to do that. What I'm guessing is going to happen with Rondé is he's going to get renounced. Um, not necessarily renounced. Yeah. Not, I, I think they make a qualifying offer and he right. won't sign it, and then if they need the money, they renounce it. Because what his qualifying – Qualifying offer is I have it up. Hold on, it's uh, it's like three and a half. He probably gets more than that. I would yeah, say. Like I think he probably a, gets a, like in the range of like. Like I mean, that's that's not that much for yeah. one year for him, and the, he would hit unrestricted free agency and get like the no trade clause and all that stuff. And and theoretically, if Rondé signs that, I don't think it's going to impact their flexibility enough where you're like where you're just freaked out. You just get Rondé Hollis Jefferson for for three million. Yeah, the bigger problem is the cap holds seven four. So like they yeah, they, but if he signs the qualifying offer, then that doesn't matter. Then it becomes his actual salary. Right, but the problem is that like he can just wield over their head saying like. Uh, I'm not going to sign the qualifying offer, so either renounce me or you have to keep the $7.4 million cap hold on your books. Sure. I mean, and I'm guessing that Julius Randle probably did something similar last year, though the Lakers should not have renounced right. him. I mean, that that whole circumstance is... Ugh. Dumbest thing in the world? Yeah. Well, no, the dumbest thing in the world was trading Zubach for nothing. That that was that was the dumbest oh, thing. Oh, yeah, that's world. true. But it was, God, you know... That front but, office was just such a disaster. I like that you used the past How tense can, there. Yeah, I, would not, I, mean, I would not use the past tense. Strong agree on that very strong agree on that uh, um, also how funny is it that memphis doesn't have a coach and we've basically heard nothing about about them interviewing anybody it's yeah, they've interviewed like they've interviewed alex jensen okay, um okay they've had like a couple I but know, it is funny so, like you even, even um, like and i mean and then you had the the cleveland coaching search which we heard a bunch of names and then they ended up signing beeline which oh actually i wanted to ask you that was i this was sure. on my original list of things to ask you you followed the college game much more closely than i have over the last few years beeline is 
he's the going to be the third oldest coach in the NBA, but he has a lot of success at Michigan, West Virginia, various places in his college tenure. How do you think that's going to work out? Okay, so let, let's start with the good. Uh, John Beeline is an incredibly smart guy. He runs a very modern uh, offensive scheme by college standards. Uh, you're talking a lot of spread pick and roll values floor spacing uh very very intelligent in regard to his offensive schemes over the last couple of years i'll be very interested to see if luke yaklich who uh currently works as an assistant on his staff he is one of the best defensive coaches in college basketball uh, i'll be very interested to see if he follows beeline to uh the cleveland cavaliers because uh yeah he's done an incredible job kind of morphing michigan's defensive style as well in regard to where I think Beeline, the questions arise with John Beeline. I would say that the first one is just connecting with players. Uh, he's dealing with professionals. Like, he's not a screamer, not a yeller, not a guy who, like, uh, you know, is an authoritarian, like, you know, Tom Izzo, right? Like, Tom Izzo is the guy that got connected with this job over the years. Like, I, I don't think Tom Izzo would have been a very good NBA coach, uh, mostly due to demeanor stuff. John Beeline, I think, has the right demeanor for the most part to deal with it. The one thing that scares me is that he is something of like a micromanager in regard to like he will call out like almost every set on Michigan's like every possession almost. He will from the sidelines look at the point guard and say, hey, we're going to run this. We're going to run that. That's not really how the NBA works. Uh, the point guard tends to have a lot of uh, – you know, authority and ability to freedom to do what he wants. I will be very interested to see how that works and how much of a step back he takes on calling out sets, because I think that that is one potential like annoyance for NBA players. Huh. That'll be, that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. And especially with the investment that they made in Colin Sexton, that's, that'll be, be significant to keep an eye on. So yeah, beeline and, and what kind of a coaching staff he puts together, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, it, I, I'm, I'm excited. I like experiments and how, how that. And that, John's a good one. Like John is yeah. one of the few college coaches that I look at and say, this could work. Um, like a lot of the names that people throw out there all the time for this, like, I have real questions about um, the ones that I think would be very good. Beeline, I think Bill Self would be very good. Like I know we talk about Bill Self, like uh, you know, tanking NBA draft prospects too often. But in regard to actually coaching basketball and X's and O's and you know calling t- X or uh, ATOs and like just pushing the right buttons, I think he's actually really good for getting wins. And then uh, like I think Tony Bennett would also be really really good. But like some of the other guys that get talked about, like I, I don't really like that. So you know, Beeline would have been in that uh, would have been in that mix for me for sure. And I, I'll be very interested to see how it works. I kind of don't want to ask you the is there anything else we should talk about question because the answer is yes and we could keep on going for another three hours. And so instead, unless there is something that you think is pressing that you want to talk with me about, I will thank you for taking the time. Um, No, I'm good. Unless you want to go wild on Game of Thrones. Like we're we're in good shape, I think. No, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another venue. But yeah, I, I do have I do have thoughts. So I have, I have thoughts. I, I gave some very substantial thoughts on my podcast last night. 
um, with Cole Zwicker, who's also like a huge Game of Thrones nerd. Uh, I, I got I got annoyed and See, upset. I'm more of a TV nerd than a Game of Thrones nerd, which I think puts me in an interesting perspective on what's happened with season seven and eight. But yeah, yeah. <sighs> well, thank you again for taking the time and enjoy enjoy, enjoy the rest uh, of your time in Chicago. Thanks, Danny. Talk to you soon. Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can read his amazing work, including a ridiculous amount of it that came out over the last little bit at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Vecini, S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. And you can listen to his Game Theory podcast. He does great work. I'm really blown away by the amount of content and the amount of quality content that Sam puts out. Before we finish this episode... I had a quick conversation with Dave Mason of betonline.ag. This is an absolutely fascinating time in his line of work. We talked about the lottery, the fun of team people betting on what is a mathematical probability, but also the playoffs and the challenges of, of doing early lines for a playoff series. So conversation runs a little bit over five minutes. I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. The NBA playoffs, and we could extend it really to the NHL or whatever. I mean, those are the two that are going on right now. They bring a different set of, of challenges in your line of work. And I was just wondering how how that really plays out on your end in terms of setting lines and the, the kind of the exposure that you're under for a given game or a given series. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're absolutely correct. I mean, there's, there's one game, you know, especially now, you know, you got one game a night pretty much. So, <clears throat> you know, after tonight's game, we'll be opening in the game two odds. And everybody's watching, right? Everybody's on Twitter. Everybody's watching. A lot more people are ready to to bet early as opposed to during the regular season when you open up tomorrow's games. Only the, you know, the select early birds are there ready to pounce. Uh, but now there's a lot more of them. You know, the, tonight's game will end and, and that line will go up and there are going to be a lot more people online watching it, uh, uh, bannering back and forth on Twitter. <clears throat> Uh, have our website open and ready to make their early bets. Um, so you got to be sharper because you're going to get a lot uh, more action on tonight's early opener for tomorrow than you would during the regular season, without a doubt. Do you notice a difference in terms of the in-game action as well? Because if everybody's watching the same game, it seems like there w- there could potentially be more action and maybe more movement as well. No, absolutely. Everything. Props, uh, the game odds, total, quarter lines, <laughs> half line, everything. You know, it's, it's a, it's a primetime game, right? There's one game instead of there being 12 games or whatever during the regular season or even earlier in the playoffs where there's three games a night or whatever. Um, you know, there's, there's one game. So everybody's using their bankroll whether they're got a hundred dollars to spend that night or ten thousand dollars to spend that night, everybody's using a lot of their bankroll on this one game instead of spreading it out. So one hundred percent live betting, absolutely. They're they're the the primetime games and especially standalone games for these playoffs. I mean that the, the live betting's through the roof, especially basketball. I mean basketball is such a great sport for live betting with the swings and and back and forth back and forth fast pace action i think it's the best sport for live betting personally so yep live betting will be through the roof that makes sense and we're recording this on on tuesday during the day one of my other favorite things that's going on right now is people wagering on what they think is going to happen in the draft lottery because that's great because it's pure it's pure odds you know there isn't i mean unless you're one of those people who thinks that there's something in the system i i tell those ah. people no there there is nothing right now there are people in the room everything like that and it it does remind you though like it relates to like i'm sure part of the reason the knicks have the they have the 
I guess that would be the weakest odds is because of optimism from their side. And really that's what it's about. And I, I just find that absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Always, always um, one of the easier events of the year for us to book because the, uh, the odds are already there. So we just add a little bit of juice to it and, and there you go. So, uh, but always fun. I mean, especially this year with Zion coming out, he, you know, it's, it's the extra inci- excitement around that draft lottery and, uh, and we'll, we'll see where he goes tonight, I guess. So I, I always love it. I always love that hype and guys sitting there open up envelopes. <laughs> I remember way back in 85 watching that Ewing one. So, um, I, you know, I've watched it. I've probably watched the lottery every year since, especially with the Sixers being in it so much lately. Yeah, and I mean they technically do have something at stake yeah. this year if Sacramento yeah, goes all, if that goes all the way up to number one that would be <laughs> that would be pretty amazing and, yeah. and and I think what's what's fun about that not only at this point with the lottery but also with the draft itself is that I'm I'm confident you you do well or your business is more about optimism than pessimism you know like that because it's typically that you're betting on something rather than against something and so the draft can work really well with that because everybody thinks they're going to do well everybody you know hopes their team is going to get the number one pick and that's really the way it works like you can't go on like who you think isn't going to get the number one pick for example right absolutely you know and that, that's how it works you know whether it's a game or a fighter or, or or something like the lottery you know you're betting on your team you're on your guy you know what i mean so uh 100 percent uh you're you're correct and and you know like you get it on these draft lottery you know we get exposed on a lot of the long shots too all those guys went to take those long shot odds as well so uh we're usually room for one of the favorites yeah is there is there anything going on? I'll open it up. It can be in other sports if, if that's what you think of first. Anything going on right now in your world that you think is particularly interesting that might surprise our listeners? In my world, well, I mean, not, nothing too surprising. I mean, PGA Championship is this weekend, which is massive, especially with Tiger back. I mean, Tiger, we got murdered on Tiger at the Masters. Uh, it was the biggest uh, futures loss in the history of the company. We got absolutely murdered on Tiger winning the Masters. So, that being said, hey, uh, you know, we'll, we'll lick our wounds there, but it's great for the overall ga- golf action, him being back. Um, and, and once again, we're exposed on him big time this weekend for the PGA Championship. Um, again, probably not not a surprise, but but it's just always fun having Tiger back and that vibe and, and that the uh, all the P, uh, you know all all the excitement that's around him, and we see the action come in so much more when Tiger's on top of the game. And 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 this year, without a doubt, it's been great. Yeah, we already had a great sports weekend last weekend, and this one will be another one with the second round of the NBA going on, hockey playoffs, and then the PGA Championship. Yeah, it'll be really fun, and I'm sure that's great for your line of work as well. No, absolutely, and the Preakness as well. You know, it's, Oh, that's it's, right. Yeah, Preakness is Saturday. I mean, it's it's kind of disappointing that uh, we didn't have a rematch there with, with the, the winner and the maximum security, but uh, – but, uh, Hey, it'll still it'll, it'll still be an event, it's still something people will be betting on. So, looking forward to that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. Thanks again to both Dave Mason and Sam Vecini for coming on. So much going on right now in the NBA. It can really feel like a whirlwind with not only the playoffs. I mean, we still have three series left. Portland Golden State started last night. Milwaukee Toronto starts tonight, and then the finals. The winning the winning teams there going at it, but. The lottery is always a reminder that the offseason is coming and coming quickly. And so my written work, I started that. I get that reminder earlier than most people because I started my offseason previews really about a month ago, almost exactly a month ago. And those are going strong still. I already had three come out this week at The Athletic, and there will be another couple later on. With And, and then you can go through the backlog as well. 
Nate Duncan and I are doing our off-season previews for Dunked On. Those are really starting in earnest this week, and then we'll start our draft work over the next little while. So I'll be able to talk in a more informed fashion with, with Sam at a later date, not right now, but soon. You can also check out the NBA cast that Nate and I do for as a live alternate announcing of the game. It's it's fun. It's a lot easier to sync up now because we're also on YouTube and YouTube has a functioning pause button. So if we are ahead of you like an international streamer, you can check that out. We're going to try to do most of the Eastern Conference finals and then we'll pick our spots in the West when the Warriors are not hosting because then we'll be there in person. So you can check that out as well, as well as all the great work that is on Real GM. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of great ways that you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. It's okay if it's not. And if you want to be super awesome, if you use something else, you can write a review both places. That really is beneficial. You can also subscribe, download every episode. That is particularly valuable for a show like Real GM Radio because it doesn't come out on a specific day of the week or anything like that. That's just not the way this show has or will ever work because it's dependent so much on guest availability. And I can't I can't ask them to do anything crazy with that because we're all busy. And Sam in particular, I mean, this was a great example. So you can do that. But the single most important thing for the show and any other that has them is to check out our advertisers, betonline.ag, podcast one promo code, get you a 50% welcome bonus. Pluto TV, leading free streaming television service, which is awesome. Yahoo Daily Fantasy, yahoo.com slash daily fantasy. Use the promo code POD25 for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. And TrueCar, great place to sell or trade in your car. Because I do not announce my guests, I will not say who it is, but I already have next week's episode lined up. It is not yet recorded, but it is lined up. I am very excited about it. It's going to be, I believe, something that I've never really talked about too much on the show in in, in part, and then the rest will be more normal. So pretty, pretty juiced about that. I'm guessing early next week, but I don't know for sure. It's going to depend on my guest's timing. And then after that, there's a lot of ground to cover. So I will pick and choose as warranted and look backwards, look forwards, look at the present. That's the way this podcast works. So if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I do not promise that I will respond, but I do promise that I will read it. That's what I do. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.